0: Do you suffer with chronic pain? Are you taking risky, over-the-counter, or prescription anti-inflammatory drugs? This is Dr. Ronald Hopp with a better, natural solution from Future Farm Botanicals. Liquid Turmeric Liposome Complex future farms liquid turmeric with liposomes and nanotechnology delivers maximum absorption for effective pain relief sourced and manufactured in the united states this product contains 1600 milligrams of curcumin and powerful antioxidant properties this plant-based curcumin is used to possibly reduce inflammation block proteins that trigger swelling and intercept inflammatory pathways significantly decreasing inflammatory responses for more information and order call 888 841-7216 888-841-7216 or go to myfuturefarm.com slash hoffman that's future p-h-a-r-m myfuturefarm.com slash hoffman don't live with pain when there's an all-natural science-based remedy that works myfuturefarm.com slash hoffman myfuturefarm.com slash hoffman Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoff, and we're talking to Dr. Peter Langen, who's a uh, coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol pioneer. Uh, and uh, he and his father, uh, Per Langdon, uh were among the first to recognize the clinical importance of coenzyme Q10 and its application to heart problems, so a great debt of, you know, I have to, I owe you guys a great debt of professional gratitude, because I think I've helped uh, innumerable patients uh, with this uh, exciting paradigm. You launched a, a revolution in the supplement industry, because uh, this is really an amazing uh, supplement. It, it's something with, uh, I mean, it, its name should be a clue. It's called their ubiquinol and ubiquinone, you know, related to the word ubiquitous, in terms of their uh, action on every cell in the body. Um, in 2008, you wrote a, a paper called Supplemental Ubiquinol in Patients with Advanced Congestive Heart Failure. You know, tell us about that.
1: Oh, yeah. Uh, well, the, you know, coenzyme Q10 uh, is exists in two states. It's oxidized state, uh, which is ubiquinone, and its reduced state, which is ubiquinol. And our, our bodies use both. It, there's a cycle between the two. Uh, when Q functions as a coenzyme, it's in its oxidized or ubiquinone state. And it, if this whole process of you know, ATP production, it becomes reduced. It turns into ubiquinol. This is in your mitochondria. And then it interacts with the equally ubiquitous free radicals in mitochondria and it becomes oxidized so it buffers your free radicals and then in its oxidized state it functions as a coenzyme. so it's it's a beautiful cycle and supplemental Q for a long time more than 25 years maybe closer to 30 was very simple it was all produced predominantly by yeast fermentation by the japanese Mm -hmm. and it was uh, very stable and it was in its oxidized ubiquinone state which is a it's a beautiful bright orange crystalline powder and so things are very simple there there was all the Q in the world was basically the same and it was all good well about six seven eight years ago probably uh the uh, a variety of companies at least six in China started making enormous quantities of Q uh predominantly the Yuba Quinone variety and unfortunately the q produced by the chinese companies is uh, not good there's there's a lot of what we call ghost peaks or mm-hmm.
0: contaminants mm-hmm. Uh, at you least because fermentation five. is really tricky you can get you know toxic uh, or useless byproducts uh, well, unless you
1: purify it well actually the chinese don't do it by fermentation there's some sort of crazy partial synthesis that they use hmm. but uh, when you ferment, you know, there's a strain, there are several strains of yeast that produce the exact same Q we do, coenzyme Q10. You know, most yeast are coenzyme Q7. They're shorter chains. But anyway, there are some that are co-Q10. So they produce a huge amount of this Q. It can be easily extracted, and then it just crystallizes out. So when it's made by the Japanese, it's it's unbelievably pure. There's nothing else in it. Uh, at any rate, this has greatly confused things. So now you have most CoQ10 by far that's on the market, and it doesn't say made in China. Uh, it's not good. And so what we've done over the past several years is we've, uh, just because of this reason, we've used the Japanese company Kaneka. That's mm-hmm. K-A-N-E-K-A. They have a huge plant in Houston that produces all of the they produce the reduced form of Q, ubiquinol. <clears throat> Probably all the Q for all of North America. And it's good. And then there's a dozen or more companies that encapsulate that. Uh, ubiquinol is a little better absorbed than Yubiquinone. You know, if you get it from the same manufacturer and you compare them side by side. Mm-hmm. Uh, both would work. Uh, it's the only problem with Yubiquinone is at the moment we don't have a reliable... Producer
0: of it, uh, except for the Canica. I mean, if you get it from Canica, it, it's well, CoQ10. They,
1: yeah, they, they. Well, they're both They uh the yeah, the Canica factory in Houston. They just produce that reduced form, the
0: ubiquinol. Oh, just ubiquinol. Okay, got it.
1: Yeah, oh, got it. Got it. Uh, so that's what we've been using in the last several years.
0: Right. Actually, interestingly, in your paper, um, you report an instance where a patient who was given you know, really massive amounts of coq10, 900 milligrams per day, apparently wasn't responding, and then uh, instead took uh, ubiquinol. Actually, there's a series of patients. If I if I have this correct, I'm right. reading the abstract here, and it, the ubiquinol was successful where the, the ubiquinone or the coq10 was less efficacious, and dramatically so. I mean, ejection fraction, up 22%, uh, up to 39%, clinical improvement, uh, less breathlessness, ability to traverse uh, longer distances. So your conclusion was ubiquinol has dramatically improved absorption in patients with severe heart failure. Maybe not everybody needs to take ubiquinol, uh, but your issue is not so much... With the superiority of ubiquinol, it's just the reliability of the source of CoQ10. That's
1: the biggest. Now, you're you're right. Now, if you yeah, – and we've done this and published it. If you look at healthy volunteers, the ubiquinol is better absorbed than ubiquinol, anywhere from one and a half to, say, two times better. Mm-hmm. But in patients with advanced heart failure, and they don't absorb anything all that great, uh, then there's a bigger spread, and, yeah, we definitely have patients with New York Heart Association, Class 4 heart failure, that ubiquinol is easily up to four times better absorbed. It, well, actually, sometimes it doesn't matter how much ubiquinone you give. You can't get their blood level up until you switch it to ubiquinol. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yes, in these Really bad heart failure patients. In fact, we only use ubiquinol in them. And actually, right now, we pretty much only recommend ubiquinol because it's, it's very reliable. It's a real good product. So that's what we use.
0: So the the question arises, uh, you know, obviously you're going to use you know, pretty heroic amounts in a patient with, uh, you know, breathlessness and, you know, their lungs are filling up with fluid and, uh, you know, their, their ankles are all edematous. Uh, those are, you know, serious heart failure patients. You might use like, uh, you know, what, uh, you know, 500, 600, 900 of ubiquinol, which is going to be a little pricey. But, hey, you know, it's therapeutic and the medications cost many times that. Um, but what about, you know, just some a healthy middle-aged person who wants to uh, get the benefits of mitochondrial protection from either coenzyme Q10 or ubiquinol?
1: Right. Uh, Well, let me, uh, on the really sick people, let me just say one other, make one other point. The, there's a saturation effect on any given dose of Q at around 200 milligrams. So in these really sick people, uh, we'll have them take 200 milligrams with fat. And we actually have them, this is important. We have them chew or pop open those soft gels Mm -hmm. uh, three times a day. And the, We didn't uh, figure this out until just over the past year, but the ubiquinol, because it's less stable, it's more sensitive to light um, and oxygen, it has a thicker gelatin soft gel around it. Mm -hmm. And it's not the easiest thing. You have to be able to break that up completely in your stomach because Mm -hmm. Q is absorbed in the very first part of your small intestine. Mm -hmm. So we, uh, in these really sick people, we watched their Q levels pretty carefully, and their levels were not as high as they should be for the amount of Q they were taking. But if we have them bite the soft gels, you know, break oh. it open, hmm. uh, it's quite good. So it's important to do that. In fact, my currently, that's I recommend that uh, all these soft gels be chewed. Uh, all oh, Q that, itself. Well, that's really new, that's news.
0: That's news we can all use. I mean, I can easily do that. I mean, I just swallow mine, but maybe I'm not getting the full benefits of that. I'm,
1: yeah, you'll do better if you bite them. That CoQ10 has no flavor, but the oil it's in does. Mm-hmm. And there's one Q product um, that has a little polysorbate 80. That's an emulsifying agent. Mm-hmm. It was kind of like a soap. That's a little bitter. Okay. Uh, so, you, you know that's the only one all the others don't have that Then,
0: so okay so the dose that you were using in, in this study you saw dramatic improvements in these heart failure patients using ubiquinol 450 to 900 milligrams a day uh but uh you know say someone who just you know like like yours truly you know i'm in my 60s I want the cardiovascular protection, but I also want, uh, you know, the energetic support, my mitochondria aging, uh, you know, what's a reasonable dose, a cost effective dose. Uh, you know, if, if I take more, would I be wasting my, my, uh, time? Yeah, I would recommend, uh, one of two things. One is
1: to take a 200 milligram size soft gel, Mm -hmm. chew it up. Uh, it's always better absorbed if you'd have some fat, yeah, you, know, you can shoot with a, you know, white no problem, because I take meal. my
0: supplements with meals, and there's usually some fat yeah, present. Yeah,
1: that that's perfect. Uh, if in you know, these these studies have been done, if you take uh, uh, some volunteers and you have them take 200 milligrams once a day of Q, and you get a blood level after a few weeks, and then you take the same people and switch them to 100 milligrams twice a day. It's about a twenty percent better blood level. So do,
0: interesting, divided doses because I thought as a fat soluble that it didn't matter. You know, you could just take it. You know, like vitamin D, you can take once a month. You know, and you'll get high blood levels. But this is fat yeah, no, soluble, it, but it, 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 it's still there. It, it there are peaks and valleys in the in the levels.
1: Yeah, you're. Uh, the, the, it's only been done once, but it was a good uh, Swedish trial looking at where this, at what dose Q. It was saturated where you couldn't absorb more in one single dose. And it's around 180 milligrams. So mm-hmm. uh, it's just a little bit of difference. But for compliance purposes, it's always better to do something once a day. Mm-hmm. So I would say healthy people, either 200 milligrams once a day or, if it's not difficult, 100 twice a day. And that's ubiquinol, to be clear. Yeah, at the moment, yes.
0: Okay, yeah, that's, Right, which is your, your favored uh, actually, I think, you know, you know, give you credit because I think you were almost single-handedly, uh, the one who launched the ubiquinol, uh, revolution, you know, where we had Coenzyme Q10. That was the standard. And then we said, well, wait a minute. Ubiquinol, uh, might be a superior product. I mean, you're talking also about product quality these days. And that I didn't even realize that was a consideration, but in terms of its bioavailability, it's more bioavailable than CoQ10. And you, you'll, you'll stick to your guns on that proposition.
1: Oh, yeah, right. It is more bioavailable, and at the present time, the company that makes it is very reliable. So, it's, it's a good product.
0: Yeah, Canica is a, is a great company, and they do you know also support uh, research, which is always uh, important. Additionally, I mean, as you are, are aware, uh, coenzyme, cutane, and ubiquinol have been touted for uh, other benefits other than cardiovascular benefits. Uh, neurological benefits uh athleticism and overall energy and mood you know patients who suffer from fatigue syndromes uh have been it's been suggested that they take uh you know coenzyme q10 or ubiquinol what have you uh you're a cardiologist but have you looked at some of these other areas
1: oh yeah definitely uh you know one interesting way to look at it if you think of athletes uh look if you look, look at these gold medalists You know, they're almost always either in their late teens or early, mid-20s. When you're young, let's say you measure Q levels before and after a run, you know, where you run to exhaustion. There's a drop in Q level from beginning of the run to the end. Well, that drop, when you're young, stimulates every cell in your body to make quite a bit more Q. We we synthesize
0: that. We normally synthesize it. We don't have to get it from outside sources. We make it. No, no. We make it really well. uh, As we age, we we our mechanisms for synthesis decline.
1: Right, and that's why when you're young, you have this training effect, and you can, as you train, your all your cells are making more and more Q, a ton of it, and so you're you're able to run faster, run further, and then, and then when they say you're these athletes anyway, when they say they're over the hill when they're in their 30s. In one aspect, they are because when they train and they drop their Q at the end of a say a marathon or something, uh, they cannot rebound and make Q the way they used to, and that's what they when they say they hit a wall, mm-hmm. you know that term. It's because no matter how hard they try, no matter how diligent they are, they're not gonna be able to biosynthesize enough Q like they did when they were, you know, in their teens or 20s. Now, these a- athletes like this, they definitely do better if they take supplemental Q. And they need to take it, I would say, 200 twice a day. They need a fair amount.
0: Because mm-hmm. they they might be burning the mitochondrial candle at both ends. So to oh, speak. right, 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 right. And they definitely do better. And that works. What about uh, neurological disorders? You know, the brain is, uh, you know, we tend to think of the heart as the real uh, hardest working organ in the body. But the brain uh, really metabolically is even more active than the heart uh, and has tremendous uh, energy demands. The mitochondria are, are implicated in many uh, neurological disorders, you know, Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, uh, and, uh, you know, even chronic fatigue syndrome. Um is there evidence that coenzyme Q ten has applications there?
1: You know, that's an interest. That's a good question. The by the time it's clinically apparent that there's anything wrong with your brain, uh, you've had a lot of cell loss, and so supplemental Q in someone say presenting with an obvious neurodegenerative disease it doesn't matter what it is uh whether it's parkinson's alzheimer's or even als uh and incidentally all these things are increasing q may have a little benefit but it's nothing too remarkable in fact you may want to consider this in a future podcast um Mm -hmm. i'm not sure if you're familiar with uh Dr. Paul Cox, uh, he's from Jackson Hole, Wyoming. He's a PhD. Mm-hmm. He's done beautiful work with the amino acid L-serine, hmm. S-E-R-I-N.
0: Right. Yeah, yeah, I've heard of that work. And there's uh, it dovetails also with sort of the blue algae story to some extent. Well, it,
1: yes, right. The cyanobacteria create a neurotoxin, that BMAA. And serine seems to displace that in your brain. And I've been uh, – Absolutely fascinated by his work. And there's two big trials that just started this year here in the States
0: mm-hmm.
1: using a tablespoon. It comes as a powder. You just it buy was it. actually
0: written up in, in I think, uh, Forbes magazine. You know, so
1: no, Actually, it was, it was Fortune. Fortune, Fortune, Fortune magazine. magazine. Fortune Forbes, yeah. In fact, if, right. yeah, if your listeners just put in Fortune, serene, and serine. then the name Paul Cox, mm-hmm. uh, they, they'll pull that up. And it's a really good interview with him.
0: Great. That might be a potential future guest. Thank you for the tip.
1: Yeah, Uh, it has nothing to do with Q, but it's a fascinating, fascinating topic.
0: So, okay, so the the dictum these days, you know, you're going to take a statin. I mean, look, uh, you have concerns about statins, but the reality of it is is that the pressures are enormous uh doctors are you know it's standard practice uh you know it's almost like you can get sued for malpractice if some car- harm should come to your patient if they're not on a statin you know you know how it is in medicine uh and also patients i think are are really stampeded into opting for statins um if you're on a statin uh should you be taking coenzyme q10 i think the answer is obvious but can you overcome at least in part some of the adverse effects of statins. How much do you need to take?
1: Oh boy! Well, you know how I feel about that. I mean, right. it's, it, kinda, it's, it's like the Hippocratic oath: first, do no harm. So, so, so
0: yeah, I know it's it's like a, it's a Hobbes <laughs> choice. It's a sort of a you know Hobbesian choice. It's like yeah, okay. Given that they're going to do something that you're not that crazy about, how do you exercise a little harm reduction? Well.
1: In my in my practice, I never, ever prescribe statins. Wow, uh, that, that's a, an amazing statins.
0: statement from a practicing cardiologist. Wow.
1: Yeah, there is no indication for them ever. Uh, so that's number one. But if you're talking about the population in general, and you're right, there's enormous pressure to prescribe these. I can say there's one bit of uh, sort of, silver lining or optimism in the future and that is patients are waking up uh they are increasingly non-compliant with all this nonsense and not just statins but Mm -hmm. you know you name anything in medicine they're they are more skeptical which is a great thing and it's but if you're stuck (laughs) <laughs> taking right. or if you have a loved one who by golly they're going to take it because their doctor told them. well yeah then taking some q i would say 200 milligrams twice a day is at least going to offset some of the fatigue they won't feel so tired it'll offset some of the impairment of heart and muscle function you're never gonna you know reverse the effects of the cholesterol being low itself which louses up everything but uh it definitely can, I would say, ameliorate
0: the adverse effects. Okay, so you, there is still some rationale for suggesting that statins be teamed up with ubiquinol. But and the dose that you think is the sweet spot for some some efficacy, at least partial efficacy, a little higher than than some people might be taking. A lot of people taking maybe a hundred, that may not cut it. Uh, 200 twice daily, especially if you chew it up, make it more bioavailable. available. That might be more uh, a more uh, uh, efficacious way of doing it.
1: Right. Yeah, it, it's noticeable. I mean, Q levels will sort of reach a peak or a plateau in a couple of weeks, and then that gets taken up really well by cells. And so most people can tell a difference certainly in their energy level within three to four weeks.
0: Do you do you recommend routinely measuring uh, coenzyme Q ten levels in patients taking uh, ubiquinol or coenzyme Q ten? Uh, is that of practical value? Because I mean, it's, we've talked to one of our good colleagues, and you're very familiar with him, Dr. Stephen Sinatra. He likes to measure levels. Is that a good way to go?
1: Yeah, it's a good, good, great question. The uh, it is now the uh, the the commercial labs, and we use. Uh, because it's right across the street from me, we use Quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, originally, or we go back 10 years, they didn't offer the test. And then when they started doing it, it was it was a type of assay that wasn't terribly good. But I'd say over the past several years, four at least, four or five, the uh, commercial lab assays are very good. They're as good as a research lab. And so, yeah, it's a very useful thing to check. The we always if we're going to do that send someone to the a commercial lab for q we always check it with a total cholesterol because the you know q is carried it mm-hmm. along with other fat soluble essentials in your lipoproteins and so for instance if you had someone whose cholesterol level was 400 versus somebody same age weight uh whose cholesterol level was 200 and you check their q level the one with the higher cholesterol is going to have a higher Q because they have a higher carrying capacity mm-hmm. in the blood. Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, it's a little more accurate so, to check. So the you blood.
0: Would, you will adjust for cholesterol. There's a there's a there's a way of right. adjusting. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. It's it's like in our publications, we we uh, we, you know, we have not only the absolute value of the coenzyme Q in the blood, but also the ratio to cholesterol.
0: So as a cardiologist, are you a one-note Charlie with uh, coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol, or do you uh, recommend other ancillary nutrients for people with heart problems?
1: Oh, you know, uh, for many years, uh, this was back when I was practicing with my father before he died, we we actually put in a fair amount of effort looking at adding L-carnitine. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's essential. You know, it's essential for transport of free fatty acids in the mitochondria where they're burned for fuel. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it may help a little bit, but it's not terribly impressive. The, the thing with carnitine, of course you get it from meats, but even true hardcore, you know, vegetarians or vegans, they still have normal carnitine because it, you can make it. Make it. Right. Make
0: so it lysine and, you know, some other things. Yeah.
1: A couple of simple amino acids you make your own. So, I'm not so sure about that. You know, there were times when we thought maybe it was helpful. Uh, and then there's other nutrients that have sort of come and gone. You know, taurine is if if a cat doesn't get it in it's cat chow, they get a cardiomyopathy. Mm-hmm. And so the idea was, well, maybe humans could use it. I've not seen that do too much either. Mm-hmm. And then the most recent, and I know that Steve Sinatra is a fan of D-ribose. Yeah. It, again, we make our own ribos. Uh, ribose There's a couple of studies where you take a bunch, like a whole scoop, you know, mm-hmm. this uh, ribose. It tastes good. It's slightly sweet. sweet. It doesn't. I've not seen that really, you know, uh, at least not that I've been convinced of, uh, improve heart muscle function.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, so, well, great. I mean, you've really... Uh, you know, one of the reasons I do these podcasts is I learn a lot. I think our audience has learned a lot about, from your experience uh, with coenzyme Q10 and ubiquinol. And uh, you have some some novel observations about the right way to take it, which I think a lot of people were not aware of, uh, the right amount to take. Uh, and, you know, also uh, you got some pretty strong feelings about statins, so which ought to give some people pause about lockstepping with um The recommendations that virtually everyone over a certain age, you know, certainly, you know, you're 65 year old male. Uh, you know, you're almost certain to be prescribed a statin almost, you know, irregardless of, if that's a word, regardless of what your cholesterol is. Uh, and that's, I think, uh, you know, pretty successful campaign on the part of the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, where can people find out more about some of your articles? Maybe they want to access, um, uh, your articles critical of, statins are they somewhere oh. accessible
1: <laughs> yeah I, I spe- you know your site's probably better source of information than anything I might have but uh, you know I uh, yeah a lot of these things you know if you just search all these things are uh, accessible on say PubMed if you just put in Lanction and Coenzyme yeah, Q sp- with- let's
0: spell your name because that's that's the that's yeah, the joke point right because it's right, a little hard yeah. to spell
1: yeah it's a uh, l a n g then s j o e n
0: okay and if you put Langgen lang- lang- statins or Langgen cholesterol yeah. we're going to see some of your your articles especially the the recent one which is okay so you know final question um what are you facing you know, approbation or ostracism among your cardiology colleagues. So they kind of like you know you go to cardiology com- uh, conferences and everybody sort of turns away and the conversation stops and
1: you know what? Oh, you know, it's not as bad as you might think. They they sort of tolerate me. Uh, they <laughs> that's a good question. Like for instance, uh, I, I'm a member of the Texas Club of Cardiologists. Great group of very very prominent cardiologists in the state. And I've given them talks on Q before, and I'm going to give them an mm-hmm. overview on this statin-associated cardiomyopathy probably in April, this coming April. And you know they're very, very polite. They're curious. Uh, some of them themselves take coenzyme Q. Uh, any anyway, rate, it's it's uh, no, I haven't had any 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 difficulties uh now if i worked in a university setting Mm -hmm. or if i were in uh, a big group practice there might be some friction there
0: right especially if you know if you buck the recommendation to put all your patients on statins i mean that i think is one of the prerogatives of private practice is that you can uh determine what's best for your patients without uh, outside interference or uh, guidelines that compel you to prescribe in a certain way Right, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, well great stuff. Uh, thanks very much for joining us again, and you know, I'm sure we'll uh, revisit with you in uh, a little while, you know, as you continue to churn out uh, research and publications. Uh, it's really been a pleasure.
1: Oh, likewise, my pleasure.
0: That was Dr. Peter Langgen. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast.